0: Welcome to season three of Outstanding Women Leaders, Witty and Wise Conversations. I'm your host, Katie L Leeds, founder and chief owl at Outstanding Women Leaders Owl Professional Coaching, an organization dedicated to empowering women to rewrite their story and reconnect to fulfillment and joy. Owl is on a mission to host 100 million Witty and Wise Conversations that disrupt the way leaders think and inspire you to change the way you live in relationship to each other. That change begins with a set of rules to guide our conversation today. Rule number one, nobody gets to be wrong. Rule number two, nobody gets to be right. And rule number three, my favorite, everything is included. We do not edit here. (laughs) If your child walks in, the phone rings, we keep it in. The conversation is exactly what it needs to be in this moment in time. We've asked our guests to join us via video to allow us to create authentic connection. Eyes are the window to the soul. You will be seen, you will be heard, there's space for you. When this conversation comes to a close, I will ask our guests three questions. If you've tuned in before, you know what they are. And if you haven't, you don't wanna miss them. But enough about me. Today, I'm excited to welcome Outstanding Women Leader, Katie O'Malley, another Katie, another Chicago girl and fellow Cubs fan. Katie O'Malley is the founder of Encourage Coaching and Consulting with over a decade of professional experience serving the nonprofit corporate and education sectors. Could our lives align anymore? (laughs) Across these workplaces, she noticed that her strengths and values consistently steered toward the support and development of others. In 2012, she earned a master's degree in counseling and board certification in coaching. She leverages a mix of evidence-based practices from the fields of counseling, management consulting, and leadership education to equip our clients with customized strategies to meet their individual needs. Earning the right to hear a client's story and creating a partnership that encourages the design of their most authentic and courageous life is an incredible privilege. Katie loves spending time with her partner and pups, jumping on the Peloton, and of course, heading over to her favorite spot in Chicago. I used to live there, Wrigley Field. Not in the field, but my old apartment was in the blue lot, (laughs) which they tore down to build a hotel, and now I can go to the bathroom where I used to live. (laughs) love it. It is so different there in Wrigleyville than it was 10 years ago. I can't, I'm a little upset about it. I'm mad at the rickets. I'm mad at uh, anyone that helps me get, the get there. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. I'm so excited to talk to you today. The, the only area that we don't um, have the same exact life path. And this I will say is because of life disruptions is that you got your master's in counseling, which is something that I would have done had not some life events occurred for me. And yet you still managed to end up exactly where I'm at in coaching. So tell me a little bit about um, the shift there.
1: Absolutely. So it was, it was interesting when I decided to go back to school to get my master's degree, the goal was actually uh, to get the degree in higher education administration and to really be focusing in on career development, leadership development, college student development, Um, and I'm glad that resonates with you too, and it was so interesting because I went in to put my, uh, went to put in my applications at um, local schools in Chicago, so Northwestern, Loyola, University of Chicago, and Um, It was troubling because they needed my GRE scores and they had just expired like two weeks before. Um, And I was like, oh, my gosh, I really, really, really need out of the job and the workplace situation that I'm in. Um, What are the other options? And at the time, DePaul University was offering um, a master's in counseling degree with a track in uh, student affairs, higher education, and college student development. And I'm like, I guess I'm going to learn how to be a therapist um, if that's if that's what it takes to get me out of this workplace situation that I'm in. So I uh, was working uh, full-time in commercial real estate, going to school um, in the evenings and, and weekends at DePaul uh, until I got a graduate assistantship in the Student Leadership Institute uh, and was able to just focus on... My, my education and the development of the skill set full time. Um, throughout the program, I, I had kind of known I wanted to steer away from the therapy side of things. Um, and so the whole time was building a toolkit to really just be focusing on career and leadership development for for students and adults. I wasn't familiar with the field of coaching at the time, um, and that was okay because I was going to end up in a university like I did for for almost a decade after earning the degree. Um, But the two big things that held me back from really wanting to move forward with, with licensure and providing therapy at the time were... Um, one, being constrained by insurance companies in terms of what type of support and service you can provide to a client or patient um, and how long you can work with them. And then the second piece is within the first 45 minutes of knowing someone, you have to provide them a diagnosis for it to be covered by insurance. And um, it was really difficult for me as someone who's very optimistic and, and comes from a strengths-based place um, to really start out uh, working with someone from a place of deficit. And and so instead of being able to say, here are all the things that are right with you right out of the gate, we have to say, here are all the things that are wrong with you. Um, and it turns out there's there's a space in the world for people that think like me and like you, and it's, it's called coaching. And so after a few years working in higher education at the University of Texas at Austin, um, I went ahead and uh, pursued the board certification in coaching through the Center for Credentialing and Education, which is the same group that does licensure for for counselors.
0: What a great story. And I love that you You've phrased it as, instead of starting with what's wrong with you, let's start with what's right with you. And for anyone listening that manages people, when you sit down to have that meeting, you always want to start with what's right and how do we build on that? And for, for me, you know, millennials, we love therapy. We heart therapy. We tell everybody they need therapy. Um, I have an interesting perspective on that as well, and it does come to around the deficit thinking as a coach, we hold our clients as naturally creative, resourceful, and whole. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Mm. So you tra- So you start. You get in. No matter which way you can. I love that it was at DePaul. I hosted a graduation there for high school kids, and that beautiful church yes. or baccalaureate. Um so many similarities here. And now you're in career and leadership and executive coaching and you are mostly in women's development. So outstanding women leaders, that's what we're doing yes. again. Um, and you said earlier um shed the shame. I'd love for you to expand upon that. I love the way you said that because there is a lot of shame around being a woman leader.
1: There's, there's a lot of shame that we've been socialized to have for just being a woman. Um, and I think, uh, you know, and, and not trying to get political, but the personal can be political. Even in the last month or so, we've kind of seen our dignity and rights chipped away at. And for me, one of the questions I've been asking myself surrounding um, the decision uh, of the Supreme Court in the Dobbs case is, If our highest court in the land is telling us, as women, um, we are not capable of making decisions over our own body, the question has to continue. Well, if this person that we are so intimate and familiar with, we don't have the capacity to make good decisions about, that is going to trickle into the collective consciousness of what do we have? the capacity to make good or great decisions about. Um, and for me, it's that's one of my, my biggest worries when it comes to career and, and leadership for women, even, even before this Supreme Court decision is we're already looked at people who are not um, viewed as being decisive or being tough or being visionary. And yet when we try and do those things, um, we are called other names, whether it's, my gosh, just any any name, whether it's instead of being assertive, we're aggressive, instead of being, um, instead of holding people to a higher standard, we're being demanding, um, it is very difficult to not internalize those messages that we've received from a really young age and and continue to receive not only socially and and in our workplaces, but also also from the highest court in the land.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just had a woman on earlier to talk today about finances, and we forget that women 50 years ago couldn't walk into the bank and get an auto loan or a mortgage or a credit card. card. (laughs) And it it really wasn't that long ago where my mom couldn't play sports in high school because Title IX hadn't been passed, and so women's Mm -hmm. sports weren't an option. So women leadership, we've made so many strides and we've done it by bootstrapping ourselves the entire way. And what I love about the work that you're doing in the world is helping women shed that shame and really tackle those unique challenges that only we face. Can you share a little bit about what are some of those challenges that women are facing in the workforce and any strategies you can offer to help us overcome them? Yeah, so
1: a, a few come come to mind right off the bat. The first is uh, this promotability bias, um, and what I mean by that is when it comes time for for promotion, um, which for a lot of for a lot of folks, after your first two years out of college or your first two years out of a professional program, um, that is when folks tend to be put up for promotion. Um, and through research from McKinsey and Company and the Lean In organization, they found um, that that is where the first real divergence in leadership comes from and people both being promoted into positions of leadership, but also receiving messages about whether they are or are not for leadership. Um, And men are promoted at three times the rate that women are. Um, The research shows the reason for that is that men tend to be evaluated on their potential and women tend to be evaluated by what can be proven and what they've already achieved, Um, which is a real shame because those are two very different criteria for, for promotability. So that's, that's the first, um, the second, can mm, we I, unpack I, that yes, for just a second? Yes, no, I Cause as say I sit ahead. here,
0: I'm like, man, as a hyper achiever that like feels like I can't, you know, land that job because I haven't gotten my master's yet, even though I feel like I've gotten a few masters by owning so many businesses and taking on roles I've never done before. Uh, women are based on what they've already achieved. No wonder I feel shame around not having the fancy titles and letters after my name. You can see I've even made sure I put the ones I do have up there because they're so important to me. How do you begin to unpack the shame that you, (laughs) that you didn't even know you had as a result of men expecting you to prove it where I'm like, but what about little Katie's
1: potential? (laughs) Yeah, well, and one of the things to be—I want us to be careful about too, Katie—is it's not just men doing it to mm. us; it's women we're doing it to each other. Thank you for that distinction. Yeah, yeah, it—we're um, not immune from also biasing negatively toward other women, um, and so I think the first thing is to raise awareness about it and talk to um, talk to your supervisor, talk to human resources, really understand. What are the criteria that are required um, that I have to meet in in order to be eligible to, to be promoted? Now, this assumes you want to be. Some people are happy to not lead, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that because you can lead from wherever you are, whether or not you have a title. Um, so after getting getting clarity on that criteria, two is helping people to see the research and, and how this really happens. So if you're in calibration meeting or have an opportunity to sit on a calibration committee really looking through the most recent research um not just about women and because you and I are are sitting here talking as I I don't want to make this assumption I am a cisgender white lady um there are challenges to that but there's also privileges to that and so how can I, with the power that I have in the space that I hold, be an advocate for other folks who aren't just being um, promoted based on what they can prove, but also having to overcome negative stereotypes around their race, their ethnicity, their ability status, socioeconomic status, um, gender. It is so complicated. And I think just having the issue is the criteria needs to be reevaluated. Um, is this something that has been pressure tested, stress tested? Does it actually work? And the answer is no, because three times more men are being promoted right out of the gate than women, and that actually creates um, not just an earnings gap, but an overall wealth um, it, er, earning potential for wealth gap for women too, um, and it's, it's also interconnected. Yeah. So
0: we have a promotability bias. We start out here. So women already know right out the gate to be aware, um, that you're, you're being judged on separate criteria. We really want to raise that awareness and get, get visible. We call it a career circle of, of people that need to know that you want that promotion. And that also women, it's okay to let people know that you want that promotion. What's next? I, I interrupted you because I wanted to no, no. hold that moment, but what's, what's the next thing that we need to be aware of?
1: Yeah. So the next one is actually maternal bias. And this this works in a couple of ways. Um, there's the bias of, oh, this is, this is a young woman. Um, she's probably going to want to have kids. If we hire her, how long is she going to stay? If she stays, when is she going to go on maternity leave? And what is the impact that that is going to have? on our team and our organization. On the reverse side, um, because like I said, we can't win um, in a lot of these scenarios. If you're someone like me, who's chosen to not have children, um, the question becomes what is wrong with this woman? Is she not feminine enough? Um, Does she have skewed values? And so on either side of the equation, um, we're, we're bumping up against challenges. And for me, um, one of can can I share a story, Katie? Yes, please. <laughs> um, for me, this actually showed up recently. Um, at at uh, my former employer at a university in Chicago, where um I was put up for promotion. Um, by by the the um, director of our team, and he was like, "This job, yep, this is yours, director of the evening weekend." Um lead program. We want you for it. This is great. Um, went through an interview process to uphold the integrity of, you know, there were other internal candidates. Um, and what I ended up learning from our our human resources um, advisor, consultant, whomever it was that I did my exit interview with was um, the reason I didn't get the promotion even though it seemed like a lot was because my coaching practice was too successful. Um, and from my perspective, um, I was, I was just heartbroken for a couple of reasons. One, um, 30% of our students came to our school to become entrepreneurs. And here you have a woman who's bootstrapped a business on the evenings and weekends. And somehow that is a bad thing. Um, now when I've told the story, folks are like, well, it's a, it's a conflict of interest or it's detracting from your work. I'm like, it's, it's not detracting from my work. My work was so good, I was put up for promotion, like that's a false, it's a false argument. Um, and then the, the conflict of interest piece, I was always very clear, I don't work with students, I don't work with former students or alumni. The whole reason Encourage Coaching exists is so that everyone can access exceptional career and leadership development services, not just folks who attend elite, elite business schools, right? Um, And so what I brought up um, was, you know, I feel like I'm really being penalized um, for not upholding traditional gender roles. Um, I have chosen and my partner has chosen that we are not we're not going to bring children into this world. We're not going to be parents. And instead we're gonna grow, nurture and cultivate our own businesses instead. Um, When I leave work at five, um, it should be my time. And I'm not sure why you get to legislate what I choose to grow, nurture and cultivate when my peers and colleagues get to leave at five and grow, nurture and cultivate their kids. Um, To the extent that sometimes having having kids can be more disruptive to the workplace than having a business that does not interact or intersect with that workday. Um, that argument was not well-received uh, and I ended up turning in my resignation the next day. Um, but I think it, all of that to say is this idea of maternal bias cuts, cuts both ways. Um, and once again, it's not just men who are upholding that, it's women too. And so one of the things I think that's really important to letting starting to chip away at this bias is really pushing um, your company or your organization for not just maternity leave, but parental leave. Um, If the weight and the burden um, could be equally distributed to the father, it would be less of a quote burden to bring a woman on your team who is of childbearing age. Mm -hmm.
0: Fun fact, my dad was the first man in the state of Illinois to receive paternal leave in 1983 for those it. of us. he is. They turned him down and my mom had a C-section. So that means she can't hold me. And she, Back then they knocked you completely out. So it was a longer right. stay in the hospital. And uh, he petitioned and he won. So first guy in Illinois to receive uh, parental leave as a father.
1: He... What a hero. Um and my gosh, so so such a such a forerunner um what the world needed and still
0: needs. When I hear this bias, I also think about the single woman, no kids bias of well, you can stay leader. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when I took the role running a nonprofit, and I know you have a lot of experience in coaching nonprofits, they always run lean. And in this particular one, it was not sustainable if you had children or a spouse or a boyfriend or any type of life. I had just moved here. I had no friends. (laughs) I made a lot very quickly, but it was literally the perfect job for someone who was okay with not having health insurance and okay with the fact that they were starting their life over, which is where I was at. And no, they originally offered it to a man and he turned it down because there was no benefits. It really was their mentality that there will be another single woman and guess who took (laughs) the next one was married. So she had health insurance, um, but no kids once again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There, there are so many pieces to the puzzle that we often overlook and just accept because that's the way it's always been. But the question, even when you're talking about benefits is who benefits from this, um, And it can really help us to get to the root of what might be going on.
0: Yeah. So women's leadership development and helping women. um, I love that you mentioned earlier, like this isn't just for college grads. I think one of the biggest deficits I had going is uh, I was a high school teacher. No one hired a coach for me. Um, I own a CrossFit gym. No one said you should get an executive coach until I did. Um, And for me, that was more about a personal coach, not necessarily professional. My second time around of hiring a coach when I went into my own program was for that. And I knew a lot of women who worked at higher up companies who received coaching, who received mentoring. I just think it's so important for women to be able to have that access. We're so quick to go to therapy um, and not quite so quick to go to coaching. It's like, we want to figure out what's wrong with us so that we can be better versus rec holding what's amazing about us and bringing out more of it. Tell me a little bit about your experience and career and leadership coaching and your practice and what that looks like. And give us some tips on this tough job market that we're currently in. First, it was supposed to be great resignation. We're super happy. Now it's, oh God, we got to find jobs. No one's hiring. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's so it's so interesting. The 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 first piece I'll say for my practice, it's it's interesting. About 85% of my clients um are referred to me from their therapist. Um, and I think the reason for that is there's a trust there, knowing that I'm trained in the same way they're trained. I'm just taking the skill set. And applying it in in a different way, um, but also their clients are having good experiences and reporting back, um, and so there's that confidence in continuing to send folks my way. And so I think therapy and coaching have a really wonderful, or um, really complementary of, e- of each other, yeah. Um, yeah, and can really work in tandem to, like we've talked about, elevate that person um, to where they. It, not just know they can get, but imagine the I always like to say imagine the possibilities of of what aspirations are possible. Um, so for me, it's whether it's career or or leadership coaching or executive coaching, really focusing on on building self-awareness. Um, it can be impossible uh, to know where we want to go or to lead others where, um, we, we envision taking our team, our company, our organization, um, if we don't know who we are to start with. Um, and I think there's two parts to that. There's the part of our identity and, and how we know ourselves and our reputation, which is how other people experience us. Um, and a lot of the coaching that I do exists in the gap between how we think we're showing up and how other people experience us. Um, and if there is a gap, How do we narrow it um, if that person wants to narrow it? And if there isn't a gap, how do you start showing up intentionally in those ways on purpose um, instead of just haphazardly uh, having a strength shine through every once in a while?
0: Mm, I love that you break those two apart, the identity and the uh, reputation, because oftentimes self-awareness, like people are like, well, I'm pretty self-aware. You know, (laughs) I've been around a while. Um, and you can you're not aware of what you're not aware of is what he said. <laughs> there will always be something new and interesting to learn about yourself. Um, and how you show up to others is not necessarily how you want to be showing up. And that's definitely a, a place where there can be a gap for people. And for those that think they're super self-aware, like where's your unknown frontier, like your final frontier? I, you know, I find, is it the bedroom? Is it the boardroom? Is it the health and wellness? Like where is that space where there's some more awareness that could be unearthed?
1: Absolutely. Um, and the, the tool that I use, I use the Hogan assessments, um, and they're used by, Right now, um, 75% of the Fortune 500 and two-thirds of the Fortune 100 in talent development, leadership development, succession planning, hiring. Um, And so the tool really looks at how do people experience you when you're at your best and brightest? And how do people experience you when you're not self monitoring because you're under stress and it is not the priority to self monitor? Um, and that tends to be some really good stuff uh, for clients, especially career folks, um, because when we go to do interview prep, interviews are inherently stressful. Even if we think we're gonna knock it out of the park, um, our our nervous system still reacts uh, to, to those moments in time. So how are we able to reduce those more derailing or diminishing behaviors because we're aware of them? It's not to shame ourselves and this is how we're bad. It's if I can recognize when this is gonna happen, I get to choose a different behavior. Um, and I think that's something that often gets overlooked. We're just kind of like, I am who I am, uh, which again, um, another social uh, socialized or socialization that we've received. But at the end of the day, everything is a, a feeling before it's a thought. Everything is a thought before it's a behavior. And we have two opportunities to interrupt how we show up and choose the behavior that's going to make us be seen as as the most effective and on the brightest side of who we are.
0: Mm -hmm. Old Popeye, I am what I am, and that's all that I am. And (laughs) (laughs) yes, yes. And I think for men, I hear that so often. Of like, yeah, this is who I am. This how I've been going through life. I'm like, well, we got you here, won't get you there. Um, and those habits hold men back. We have our own version of 12 habits to hold women back. And since I have an expert and a therapist, and I know I only have you for four more minutes, I've got to ask a little bit rumination holds women back so much. We ruminate, we go over the scenarios and I've caught myself doing it more than I've done in a really long time. And so what advice do you have? What leadership coaching can you give uh, around rumination?
1: I'm putting you on the spot, but I know that you have yeah. some great nuggets. So with rumination, the the first thing is like, it's to recognize that you're even doing it. Um, a lot of the time we don't even know where we're engaging in the cyclical thought pattern that's only serving um, to hold us back and 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 hold us down. Uh, so the first the first step is actually catching yourself in a ruminating pattern. Um, the the upshot of rumination is that it's thoughts, right? And just like our behaviors, we can we can control our thoughts. Um, the challenge with that is is learning how to do it. And people will say, well, just meditate or. <laughs> you know, um, just meditate or go to therapy or whatever it is. But in the moment when you can't make the thinking stop around, Oh my gosh, how is that performance review going to turn out? Oh my gosh, I should have said this in the meeting instead of this. Now we're not going to get the client. I'm going to lose my job. Does this sound familiar, Katie? Yeah. And I haven't
0: done it in such a long time. And all of a sudden I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) And And because I caught myself once. Now I've caught myself a couple other times. I'm like, what
1: are you doing? Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think a big part of that is it, we have been in a pressure cooker for two and a half years as it globally. Um, if it's, if it's not COVID it's war, if it's not war, it's, it's a political election. If it's not that it's mass shootings and violence every time we turn around. So the fact that, um, you know, people are, like you said, ruminating more Um, to me, that's just a sign of all of our stress levels are raised and our nervous systems Mm. are, are dysregulated, which might be why you're experiencing that more for me. um, Whenever I ruminate, I tend, we feel it somewhere in our body beyond just the thinking and the throbbing brain. And so for me, I tend to feel it in my heart, wherever you feel it in your body, in that moment, um, one of the best practices and most promising practices I found, um, is, is to take that part of your body, whether it's your heart or your stomach or your throat or your shoulders, um, and hippy dippy as it may be, it works because it distracts you from what's going on in your head. I kind of hold my heart in my hands and I'm like, I love you and I care about you and your wellness matters to me. Um, and just, it, it brings your nervous system back down because it gets you out of the cycle of thinking. And as you're saying, like, yes, I do love my heart. It pumps blood for me. It helps me breathe. Yeah. And if this discrimination is causing it to do this, my goodness, I should probably try and shift my thoughts a little bit. Um, but the the best thing you can do in starting out to diminish rumination is to practice interrupting it. And whether yeah. that's doing something a little hippy-dippy um, or writing it writing it out, um, sometimes it just literally needs to be out of our head and down on paper on a screen. Um, interrupting it is, is the first step. Um, and, then, and then comes the emotional piece, which may require a therapist or a coach.
0: Mm, I love that. Mine is my gut. And so hearing you say that, it's always, my gut is my authority. Like when I say, mm-hmm. mm, like that is my gut saying, yep, that's for us. <laughs> and I think my gut, um, it definitely like it want my brain's like, we got to pay attention to this. We got to pay attention to this. I think it's a great way for me to tell my gut, you're still my authority. I still trust you. Um, it's just, mm-hmm. I think that's the rumination is, is the doubt of myself. Thank you yeah. so much. What a great tip. I love the embodiment and being present, getting getting people, um, out of their thoughts and into their body and where they're, they're having that experience. Three questions before we go, because we have to have our three questions. What is your superpower? Oh, my superpower is my imagination. Oh my gosh. We are totally the same.
1: (laughs) When are we hanging out?
0: My next trip to Chicago, we're definitely getting a drink.
1: What is your purpose? Oh my gosh. Um, my purpose is, is to help people be courageous in their lives.
0: And what's next for you?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, what's next for me now is another podcast. <laughs> um, but I think the, the next big thing for me is I'm, I'm looking into to writing a book um, based on career and workplace induced trauma.
0: Oh, I love all this. We're going to definitely connect. Go to your podcast. I'll send you an email so we can follow up with each other. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll have all the links to find her posted. Uh, I always
1: give you the last word. So you get the last word and then I'm going to stop recording. I am so grateful for you, Katie. Thank you for this space today.